So the reading is Mark 1, um, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Great. Um, Nicola read to us... Oh, I've gone too far. Nicola read to us from Mark chapter 1. So if you want to grab a church Bible and have a look at it, it's on page 1054. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, But first, uh, you might want to think about... I wonder what you wanted to be when you grew up. Or some of you I know are still really young. Maybe you think, what do I want to be when I grow up? What do you want to be when I grow up? When you grow up, well, when I was young at school, long time ago now, uh, I went to see the careers advisor, and I said to her, "Oh, you know, I'd really like to be a tailor when I grow up." And she looked at me and she said, oh, "I just don't think you're suited to that kind of profession." Uh, so I was a bit taken aback, and I had another. I, got, I said, "Well, I've got another one on my list." I said, "What about a barber?" She shook her head. She said, "That's a bit of a hairy choice." I mean, what if you can't cut it? Uh, and by this time, I was feeling quite hurt quite annoyed, uh, quite let down, so I just said, oh, I'm not going to listen to you. Oh, I'm just going to get a job cleaning mirrors, because that's something I could really see myself doing. Um, anyway, what I did actually end up doing was I went to university, and then I trained to be a maths teacher, uh, which is a great job, uh, if any of you are thinking about getting a new job. Um, so I left university and went to college to train to be a maths teacher, and they got about 40 of us together who all wanted to be maths teachers, and they taught us for a few weeks about maths teaching. They gave us lots of ideas of what we might like to teach. They gave us vision. It was exciting. This, uh, my maths classroom was going to be incredible. Every child was going to just drip, just like hang off every word that I spoke. They were going to be so excited about maths, uh, and I was just getting really incredibly excited about this. But I never met a kid at all in those, in those few weeks. And then they sent us off to school, and we went to my first placement school, and I turned up, and it was like it was the exact opposite of college. College were all really excited about maths teaching, and they were like, Rah. kids just need to sit in silence and listen to what we say and just uh, get on with it. And, they, and every time I would bring an idea, well, why don't we do this or do this? They were like, no, 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 just watch what we do and copy us. Just do exactly what we do. And I was feeling really deflated because all this excitement that I'd had about education was kind of sucked from me. Thankfully... Um, my kind of experience of training was saved by uh, my second placement, where there was a guy called David there who taught me how to be a teacher. Um, And he really welcomed me to be part of the team. Even though I was just a trainee, he said I could take part. He got excited when I got excited. He encouraged me to be creative and imaginative. Um, He celebrated when I had high expectations. And when they fell flat on their face, he picked me up and helped me to carry on. And he inspired me to be the teacher uh, that I was. And he inspired me actually to do all things that he taught me for my students. You see, sometimes I think our education system has a bit of a problem. Because we go to school 
in order to just get a load of knowledge in our heads. And education can sometimes seem to be just about downloading knowledge. As a teacher, I've got all this knowledge. I need to get it into your head so that when you sit your exams, you're going to do well. And then I feel good about myself as a teacher. And, and so our education can be all about our heads, our academic knowledge. And we leave school or university or whatever it might be. We've got our heads full of knowledge. But actually, are we able to apply it anywhere? And then we leave school and we go and get a job. And our job says to us, well, I'm not really bothered about what you think or what you know or, or what you feel. All I want is output at the end of the day. If you're in a job, they want output. They want you to achieve. So they're like, just come and do this job. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Watch what I do and repeat. Um, and so in our job, all we're taught is how to use our hands, basically, how to function and get an output. And in our culture, we seem to have separated these things. We seem to have separated our academic learning um, from kind of our heart experiences, from our hands and what we do. And the danger is we can just become good at one of these things. Or we can just be full of, full of academic knowledge but unable to apply it. We can have a heart bursting with emotion, but actually we never think through some of the ramifications of what that might be. And we've talked in church before, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this picture, about our head, our hands, and our hearts. And sometimes we can end up with maybe a really big head full of knowledge, really big hands, we do loads of stuff, but it makes no sense, we don't really think about it. Or really big hearts, so we've got loads of emotions, but actually we never put anything into action. Um, I wonder if you recognize anyone from those pictures. Don't, don't look at the person next to you. You know, it might be them with a really big head. Um, but when we turn to the Bible and when we come to Jesus, Jesus offers us a different model. Jesus says, actually, I'm not just interested in giving you a load of knowledge. Sometimes we can give the impression that Christianity is just about believing a load of stuff, learning a load of stuff. Jesus says, I'm not just interested in that, although I'd love to teach you. And Jesus says, I'm not just interested in your heart, although I want to change your heart and transform your heart. But it's not all about emotion, because I want you to follow me when you feel close to me and excited about Christianity. But I also want you to follow me in those hard times where your heart's struggling, where you're feeling a bit more distant. Those of you here last week, we were speaking about being in the desert places, being in the places where we feel far from God. And God says, Jesus says, I want to transform your hands. I want you to do things for my kingdom. I want you to do great works. But you're not just a human doing. You're not just about the output. So it's not just about what you do. Jesus invites us to follow him. And when he invites us to follow him, he invites us to take part in this kind of holistic journey of seeing our heads, our hearts, and our hands transformed to become the people that he's calling us to be. And that's the people he calls us to be in our thinking, in our emotions and our belonging, and in the things that we do. And maybe we might think, sort of today, the closest we might get to it is an apprenticeship, where you go and be with someone and you learn, and you get to sort of really experience what they experience, know what they know, and do what they do. But the trouble with this kind of thing is actually, if Jesus is saying, I want to take your head and your heart and your hands and transform, I want to take every part of you, then there's a cost involved. There's a commitment involved. Because the advantage of something like our education system or of a job where you're only expected to produce a little bit of an output is that we don't have to give all of ourselves. We can keep something back. And in our culture, we often like to keep something back. We're often scared of commitment, whether that be to a job or a career, whether that be to a relationship or a group of friendships, 
we like to keep something back almost for a rainy day. You know, well, when the time comes, I'll commit fully. But for now, I'd like to keep my options open. We're a culture that likes to make a contribution, but we don't always like to make a commitment. You know, I do this. When I, when I um, see someone on the streets who's homeless, and I buy them a cup of coffee, and I feel so great about myself, and then I walk home to my comfy bed, to my safe place, and actually I have, all I've done is made a little contribution that hasn't really cost me anything, rather than making a commitment. And it reminds me of this story about the pig and the hen. There was a pig and there was a hen and they lived together in a farmyard. And they got on quite well. But they were a little bit concerned. They were thinking, well, are we really being good pigs and good a big good pig and a good hen? Are we really contributing to society? Are we really helping people? And they were, they were troubled by this for several days. And they would often discuss it. They would say, well, we're just living in our barn. What could we do? What could we do to help people? What could we do to kind of grow in our knowledge of the world, to expand, to see what's going on out there? And one day the hen uh, was out, as, as the hen often did, and he went out for the day. And he came back very excited to the pig. He said, I've got it. I've got it. The pig said, oh, you've got what? What have you got? He said, I've got what we can do. We can make a difference. Just listen to me. I've got this great plan. The pig was uh, getting excited by this stage. He said, oh, tell me about it. The hen said, I've heard that there's a local charity group. And they're doing this drive to provide food for those who don't have very much food. You know, for some homeless people, for some families that are hard up, they're giving some food. And the, the hen said, oh, I thought we could get involved in this. And the pig said, oh, okay, sounds interesting. Uh, what, what did you have in mind? The hen said, I thought we could make them breakfast. You know, if we work together, we could give them eggs and bacon. Um, and, and that would really help them because they could go, they could have a good breakfast in the morning. The pig thought about this for a while. He said, yeah, there's a bit of a problem here, isn't there? You see, eggs and bacon, I mean, for you, that's a contribution. But for me... That's a real commitment, a real full-on commitment. It's easy to make a contribution, but it's much harder to commit. It's easy to give so it doesn't cost us, to give out of our excess. But it's hard to give fully of ourselves, to be committed to him. We're holding something back. We're waiting for the right time. But will the right time ever come? Well, Jesus stands and Jesus says, Mark writes this about him. He says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. Or it, in the Greek, it actually means the time has now been fulfilled. The time is now at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying, now is the time. Now is the time. And there's a number of hints that Mark leaves in what he's writing to tell us about this. Just before this, it said, just after John had been put in prison. Now, John is the prophet of preparation. John is preparing the way. And Mark's saying, well, now the preparation is done. This is the real person. He's here. And then we look at what Jesus said. And to many of us, it can seem quite religious language, this religious language of the kingdom of God, this religious language of repent and believe. But actually, at the time... It wasn't religious language, it was political language. It was provocative language against the powers that be. Because actually Caesar was the one who was in charge. Caesar's kingdom was what was important. He's saying there's a different kingdom at hand. There's a new thing happening. Repent, believe the good news. 
good news, the word used in Greek is the evangelion, which is often used by emperors as a political proclamation of their own good news. Caesar is on the throne, therefore there is good news. And Mark's saying, Jesus is saying this about his own ministry, about his own sense. There's this sense of anticipation. There's this sense of challenge to the powers that be. There's this sense of provocation. And it also takes place in Galilee. Now, we don't know exactly when Mark wrote his gospel, but a lot of research says that it was probably between about 66 and 74 AD. That's not definite, but it could well be. And that's a really significant time because at that time, there was a rebellion amongst the Jews against the Roman Empire. And they stood up to Rome and they said, we're fed up with you coming here and desecrating our temple and actually we're going to push back. Um, And obviously the Romans weren't too happy about that. So they sent a big army to crush this rebellion. And the first place they came to was Galilee. And they they sort of, the rest of Israel, they took longer to come through. But Galilee, they crushed the revolution. And it's estimated that 100,000 Jews were killed or enslaved at this point. Now if that's just happened maybe a year or two before, then it's really significant that Mark's writing, Jesus stands in Galilee. You know that place where we were defeated. You know that place where hope was wiped out? Jesus stands there and he says against the Caesar that the kingdom of God has come near. That now is the time to repent and believe a different political proclamation from the one you're used to believing. But again, what does repent and believe mean? That can seem to us quite religious again. Say sorry, say a quick prayer, maybe go along to church every now and then. Maybe fill our heads with a bit of knowledge. But actually... What repent means is, in the, in the Greek language is to turn around a complete change of life. Turn your life around. You were going this way. Stop and turn around and go the other way. And trust in the Evangelion. Trust in the good news. Put all your eggs in one basket. Give all of yourself to this. Because the kingdom of God has come near. And there are these rumors of revolution in the air and we're sort of reading and we're wondering what's going to happen next and the next place we see Jesus it's on a beach by a lake well it's not really what we expect is it he's declared a revolution shouldn't he be rounding up soldiers or going to the you know getting the finest minds together to say how can we really convince people that our way is right and Caesar's way is wrong but no he's on a beach looking for some fishermen little ordinary fishermen Probably dropouts from school, because the, the kind of people who would take up fishing at that time were those who hadn't made it academically. They were doing what they had to do, what they probably felt they were going to be doing for the rest of their lives. See, fishermen at the time didn't have a lot of career ambition. Some people said they did it just for the halibut. Uh, and they thought maybe they, uh, thought maybe they could do better. Um, but when their friends started saying to them, oh, why don't you get a different job? A lot of trout just came up, uh, and they didn't really believe in themselves, and they just told their friends to stop carping on about it. They said, look, I just need to stay put, and as long as I don't rock the boat, I might be able to net a little profit. Um, They were just there. They were just getting by. They were just carrying on. They were just doing what they had to do, what they'd always done. But then Jesus walked the beach, and everything changed. And I wonder if some of us think, Maybe in certain areas of our lives, maybe in our whole life. Or this is just how it's always going to be. This is just my routine. This is just my life. There's nothing going to change. You talk about commitment to a cause. Well, I, you don't understand my situation. I can't change. 
can't make a difference. You know, this place, this situation at work where I really want to speak God's word, well, it's just impossible. This is how it has to be. This is how it's always going to be. But Jesus walked the beach, and that made all the difference. Because Jesus walks the beach, and he sees Simon and Andrew. And he stops, and he looks at them, and he says, follow me, and I will send you out so that you will fish for people. And what do they do? Well, they drop everything, and they follow after him. And Jesus goes on, and he sees James and John. It doesn't say what he says, but presumably it was something similar. Follow me, because I want to send you out to fish for people. And they leave everyone and follow him. And what, if we're counting, he's now got four followers, four fishermen dropouts to start his revolution. It doesn't seem like your normal revolutionary. It doesn't seem like your normal teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbis at that time were revered and honored and respected. And they would have many disciples who wanted to follow them, applying to them, just like you might apply to a top university and say, I'd really like to come and learn from you. Rabbis would have lots of people saying, I want to learn from you. Uh, and, and learn men to come and live with and be with and understand the way of the rabbi and take on their mantle so that you could pass it on to others. And the rabbis would make sure they chose the best of the best. Why would they choose the best of the best? Because if you wanted your teaching passed on, you'd want to entrust it to someone who you knew would use it well and wisely. But Jesus is on a beach and he's calling fishermen. Has something gone wrong? Has he not understood what he needs to do? Well, no, I'd suggest just the opposite. Because who you appoint shows something about who you are. It's reported that when Donald Trump became president, he, uh, he chose a cabinet and they calculated their net worth was $12 billion. Whatever you think about Donald Trump, it says something about what he prioritizes, what the direction that he wants to take the country in, that he calls the wealthy around them. Well, Jesus does something quite different. He's the revolutionary who calls the fishermen. Because the apocalyptic arrival of God's kingdom looks like fishermen abandoning their nets to follow him. It's the revolution of the ordinary. And it tells us that God's kingdom isn't about the powerful. It's not about the successful. It's not about how much money you have, how much influence or power you can exert. It's for those who are at the end of their tether. It's for those who've got nothing left to give. It's for those who write themselves off and say, well, I would never be chosen. It's about Jesus looking at those people and saying, I see that you've got what it takes. I see that you've got something wonderful and I want you with me. I want you on my team. So who is discipleship for? Who is this following Jesus for? Well, It's for the single parent who's struggling to get by. It's for the orphan who feels lost and alone. It's for the worker tirelessly toiling and it's for the unemployed. It's for the homeless and the helpless. It's for the asylum seekers and the misfits. It's for the addicts and the debt-ridden and the downtrodden and the prisoners. It's for those who say it couldn't possibly be me because I've got nothing. Jesus looks at them and he says, I call you. Stop what you're doing. Come and follow me because I believe in you. Because I see something in you that no one else sees. Because I see those ambitions 
that you think you'll never realize. I see those dreams that you feel have fallen to the ground once and for all. And I speak life because I believe in you. And I want you with me where I am. And it's incredibly liberating and wonderful. Because every time I write myself off, Jesus says, no, I am calling you. And every time I say, I couldn't possibly give anything. He says, I see what you've got and I want it. And every time I say, you don't understand, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the darkness of my heart. He says, I look and I know and I love you. But it's dangerous because the world doesn't like it. Because the world out there is about power and it's about success and it's about wealth and it's about competition. And humility challenges power and love challenges competition. And the way of life that says the ordinary are extraordinary challenges those who feel they've got a right or a grip on power. Because he calls each one of us. But remember, he's still a revolutionary. And this is still a revolution. And it doesn't just challenge the powerful out there. It challenges the power in our hearts. And it challenges the things that we hold on to. It challenges the things that we think make a success of our lives. It challenges the things that we run after. Because these people who are called, leave everything. It says they left their nets, their livelihood, the thing that they had probably spent a long time keeping great care of and cherishing because that was what brought in the money each day. That was what enabled them to survive. That was what they could rely on and fall back on. And I look at this and I'm challenged because what do I rely on? What do I look to to get me through? So often I'm relying on my own abilities, my own work, the things that I know I can achieve. I think if I just work harder, if I just give a little bit more, then I'll get by. But every time I do that, I'm withdrawing a little from the fullness of life that God wants to show me, from the fullness of life that Jesus is calling me towards. Every time I rest on my success, my wealth, the things that I've got, I'm saying no to the Jesus who's calling me to a better life, to a greater thing. The second group, James and John, they leave their father. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus seems to have this thing where he challenges family ties. And it's not because Jesus has a thing against family. But he has a thing where he's questioning us. Well, am I really the most important? Am I really priority number one? Because he wants us to commit our head, our hands and our heart. Not for his own sake, not for his power, but so that we might be transformed. And when we put others before him, however important those relationships might be, we find that actually we're holding back from the fullness of things God wants to do in us. But also there's this wonderful thing about family. That you're invited into a new family when you commit to Jesus. You're invited into the family of God. You choose to say that I won't just call brother or sister those who are blood-related, those who are close, those who do good to me. I won't just call, choose to call friend those who I get something back from. Jesus challenges family because he challenges you to go into the world and see everyone you pass as your brother and your sister, as your father and your mother. 
He challenges us because he says, I love all. Will you love all similarly? He challenges us to not just build relationships with those who can give something back, but to love those who cannot. We sang that song earlier, and there was a line in it that said, eight billion, it was talking about um, how in every eight billion people around the world, we see God's face. That in all eight billion, they reflect the image of God. But I've just been reflecting for a bit on whether that's true or not. Because actually my tendency is to see God in those who are close to me. See God in those who are dear to me. But does my heart truly go out to those who are very different? To those who are around the other side of the world? To that awful um, tower block that Raph was sharing with us about. Do I care about that as if it was my own family? Well, no, I don't. But God's calling me to love a bit more. He's calling me to expand my heart and to love more. And that, so that's why he's challenging us to leave, what that might mean, to leave our father. And then we leave our hired hands. It says they left the hired men. Well, those are like those we have influence over, those we have power over. And I know I'm challenged because so often I see that as a mark of my success. How much influence do I have? How much power do I have? For me, it's often about how full is my diary. Because if my diary's full, I'm busy. That means people value me. That means I must have influence and success. Jesus is saying, will you leave that way of life where you're seeking power and seeking influence? And it plays on our insecurities because all these things we put in place or we have around us to make us feel whole, to make us feel fulfilled, But Jesus says, actually, they don't fulfill. Your own abilities, they fall down. Even the best of relationships can let you down. And actually, your power and influence isn't really what life is all about. Let me show you a different way of life. Let me show you a way of life that's whole and that's full. And that it's about committing all that we are, our head, our hands, and our heart to him. Because he calls us to follow. He calls us to come and be with him. That's the first call of a disciple, to be with their rabbi, to be with Jesus, to see him and to learn from him and to share his heart and to work like he works. Will we come to him? Will we leave those things behind? Come and follow the rabbi. And then we're called to go. He, sends, he says, you're going to come to me and I'm going to send you out. Because actually the truth is it's not just for us. Discipleship isn't about you. It's not just about you feeling good about yourselves or you having a fulfilled life. It's about this kingdom that's for all the world. It's about this proclamation that's for everyone. It's about being challenged and changed and transformed in all that we are in order that we might show the world what it means that the kingdom of God has come near. In order that we might show the world what it means that in Jesus Christ, the political good news of his kingdom is at hand. And then it says he makes them into fishers of people. And when I was little in Sunday school, he used to teach me that was because I was going to go around uh, hooking people and dragging them into church, like on the end of a fishing line. But actually, I, think, I don't really think that's what it's about. I think it's about Jesus saying, you're fishermen. And actually, you go out and you fish for fish. Well, I want to repurpose you and refashion you for my kingdom. I'm going to take the gifts and the talents that you have. Those gifts and talents that you thought were no use. Well, I've got a plan for them in my kingdom. Jesus is saying this, this discipleship is about being repurposed. 
It's about being recommissioned. It's about saying, I love your heart. I love your desires. I love the things and the talents that you have. I love the gift for learning that you have. I love the thirst for knowledge that you have. I love your ability with your hands. I love your heart of compassion. But I've got a way to take that and repurpose it. So it's directed towards my kingdom. God has a vision for who you can be. And it's full. And it's wonderful. And it's vibrant. And we so often sell ourselves short. We so often write ourselves off. We say, it couldn't be for me. He must be calling that person behind me. But no, he's coming to the beach to call you. And when you write yourself off, he said, no, you're wrong. I've got a plan. I've got a vision for your life. Come and be with me. Come and be with Jesus. That you might be sent out and repurposed for the kingdom of God. Because the more that we can let go, of those things that we talked about and others that you might be thinking of, the more that we let go, the more he can make us whole. The more that we can give and commit of our ways of thinking, our ways of feeling and our ways of doing, the more we can give of them to him, the more he's able to repurpose and refashion us and show us the reason for which we were born. And it's an invitation. And it's an invitation we can say yes to. It's an invitation we can say no to. But the reason why you're not following Jesus, why I'm not following Jesus, is not because he's not calling me. It's because I choose to hold on to my nets or my father or my hired men. I choose to hold on to the things that pull me back. And the challenge and the offer is, can you let go? Can you get up? Can you go and follow him? Will you be repurposed for his kingdom? We're just going to take a moment of quiet and I'm going to pray. And then maybe... The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news we want to repent God we want to turn around from saying that we have no, nothing for you we want to turn around from the lies that we've believed about ourselves that have written ourselves off that have said we're not good enough that have said we've got nothing to give choose to hear your voice calling us to follow we want to believe the good news you have a purpose and a plan and a vision for our lives for the physical reality of who we are of how you've made us to be I just think the Holy Spirit just wants to impress that on us this isn't some spiritual calling God made you physically as you are your gifts and your talents and your loves and your desires he has made you and he loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for you we want to believe that we are called because you value us that we are called because we have something to give that we are called to live lives that make a difference and say to this world power and wealth and status and influence are not all there are because the kingdom of God is at hand the kingdom of God has come near help us God 
wants to know what it is to leave those things behind, to let go of the things that make us feel secure, but falsely. Help us to believe the good news that if we give all of ourselves to you, you will hold us, you will love us, you will transform us and fashion us into the people that we're called to be. God, help us to leave our nets and follow you.